Incoming transmission. All right, Cam, as everybody knows, the subspace transmission guys, we're not always the best when it comes to timing and looking at our calendars. So we will get to our regular scheduled programming in, um, let's see, maybe 20, 25 minutes, because I think there's a lot to digest here with the big news coming out of New York Comic Con, which we totally forgot about. Mm -hmm. And then um, over Thanksgiving weekend, we were inundated with all of this news here, and we realized, you know what, we can't wait one more week. We have to dive in to the big reveal the return of one of the most beloved recurring characters in star trek ronnie cox cam <laughs> ronnie cox is coming back to star trek and i am so elated how what was your reaction to the return of ronnie cox aka captain now promoted to admiral jellico you know it's funny because i feel like this is maybe the second or third time this has happened where a character has been just like referenced a couple times on lower decks and then, boom, next thing we know, they're actually having an official return. Same thing with uh, Okana um, showing up in, um, you know, the, the uh, upcoming episodes of Prodigy as well. And I was like, huh, that's funny. They were re- referencing DJ Okona on Lower Decks not so long ago. Maybe we should be paying closer attention to Lower Decks to see which kind of characters are just circulating around kind of the, the energy vibe of the Kurtzman factory. Okay, so you're saying Ezri Dax is coming up next then. I think, I mean, at this point, if Okona is coming back, anything is on the table. So it's just going to be interesting, I think, to kind of track which characters start to get mentions. I think, you know, Gary Mitchell is one I would be waiting for at this point. Okay. I would love to dive further into the return of Jellicoe, but why don't we kick it off just a few more minutes? And why don't we kick it off with um, uh, the re- uh, the latest uh, Star Trek Picard Season 3 trailer here. I remember catching this uh, about... I think 20 minutes after the trailer was made available on YouTube and I sent a message to our WhatsApp group and it had the emoticon. All it was is like the link to YouTube uh, trailer and then my uh, wide-faced emoticon here. And this was what I was reacting to. And I don't know if, like, I wanted to save all my thoughts here until we were able to talk about it for the first time, which we're doing right now. Yeah. My wide-eyed emoticon, though, I kid you not, it was, it was a reaction to Moriarty. Yeah, that was a character that blew my mind, and so my reaction, <laughs> like I, I swear, Cam, I'm not joking. Like I, to me, this is like the perfect kind of um a character to bring back, and, and I've got two thoughts about it here. But what happened though is like I, I see this guy, and he's like, "Hello, my old friends," and I, I looked at it, and I was like, "That's supposed to be somebody." Who is it supposed to be? My initial thought was like, he kind of looks like DeForest Kelly there. Are they de-aging <laughs> DeForest Kelly? Cam, this is all. And then he holds up like this old school pistol. And I'm like, what? And, and so this is all in the span of 1.2 seconds. 1.2 seconds. And then what happened about like they had the um, Star Trek Picard title card come up. And, like this is about half a second before Lore appeared. I finally, thank God, I actually realized it was Moriarty, and that's when my mind was blown. And then after that, we had Brent Spiner uh, reappear. And Cam, we, you and I were making jokes about like Doctor Sung um, from uh, season one of Picard going to Starfleet Academy. Yeah. And so when I saw Brent Spiner in a Starfleet <laughs> uniform, I was like, they actually did it! They actually sent him to Starfleet Academy. Oh my god! And um, <laughs> and so and so actually seeing like um like Jordy LaForge go lore, I was like, oh okay. But I, I was way more pumped about seeing like Moriarty, uh, Moriarty's return than say the return of Lore. Have we kind of speculated on like the potential 
Return of Lore, just in the recent few like weeks or months, did, that kind of rings a bell for me, but I'm not sure if I'm just kind of um, making that up in my head right now. Yeah, we definitely did um, ponder whether Lore would be an element because... Um, a Brent Spiner's in the cast, and other than um, uh, Alton Sung joining Starfleet or something like that, it seemed kind of odd. So I, yeah, we definitely talked about lore, and I think we were also perhaps talking about like with the fact that Picard, you know, the series Picard has has dealt with like the Borg, it's dealt with Q. What are kind of the remaining threads of TNG left to pick up on? And we did definitely bring up lore when we were talking about that. Okay, so I mean, so it wasn't like I was super shocked, but it's kind of like I like the idea that, like, my guess is either they, you know, put Lore's brain into a synth body, or else, you know, Lore got a bit of a a paint job here. Um, so I can totally wrap my head around the return of Lore in you know Prince Spiner's body. I, I'm look, I look, I, I'm down. I think he kind of closed out his story you know, well enough back in Descent Part 2 with uh, him being deactivated. Um, it was just even a cool moment where just one of those subtle things that they did with the visual effects there, but when, like, essentially, like, Data switches off his sh his uh, uh, chip, you know, like, turns uh, Lore's button off, his eyes kind of fade to gray. And it's it's not a close-up shot. And it's like, you know that they had to kind of do it, like, subtly. So it's like, it's him turning off and... I felt like Lore's story kind of came full circle. I'm not averse to bringing back Lore and exploring what might be left there because it is kind of one of those lingering things that they never touched on, especially with, you know, pulling like B4 out of a drawer yeah. and then just shoving him back in. So I don't, what are your thoughts? Okay, you know, Cam, what are your thoughts of A, Moriarty, and then B, Lore? Moriarty was the fun surprise of the trailer um, for me and that I, I definitely had that moment of like, boy... We're just like, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but like, boy, we're, we are just strip mining the history of TNG. Just like all these <laughs> things that you would have assumed we, you would never he, see or hear from again are all game now. Like we can do anything within modern Star Trek. We can draw on any character. You know, lore would not shock me, and I wasn't particularly shocked when they revealed him, but Moriarty was definitely the fun surprise. I am, I suppose, wondering... Like, we don't know what this villain, we'll talk about Amanda Plummer's character in a second, but, like, we don't know what this villain's, you know, real objective is. And when I see Moriarty pop up, I see Lore pop up, these are both, like, artificial beings. And I start to go, like, okay, are we seeing the actual versions of them that we saw on TNG? Is this some sort of, like, simulation that characters are encountering them in? Um, like... I don't know that this is to be taken at face value as Lore and Moriarty that we saw before are coming back, or if this is, if they're going to pull some sort of like, I don't know, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home, where we're going to have other TNG adversaries pop up from the past or something like that. I don't know. It feels like a little too straightforward. Just be like, yep, here's Moriarty. Here's Lore. What more do you expect? Okay. So like, I, I, I've got many similar sort of thoughts, like bouncing through my head. I'm going to try to articulate it here. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily kind of a Spider-Man deal, you know, bringing those back. But I, I wonder if, like, is Moriarty in there for one episode? That's my is guess. Is Lore in there for one episode? I would venture to guess not. You know, just based on the prominence that Moriarty got. You know, like, that might be a bit of a reach for even, like, just the, the broader fan base. Like... 
hardcore fans could totally identify him by that trailer. I don't know if that's going to draw in, you know, like um, the broader audiences. Like, I, I think Moriarty might be around for at least three episodes. And my guess, here, here's what I was actually thinking about. I'm not convinced he's going to be an antagonist of any sorts. That's what my initial reaction was when I saw him appear on screen. I was like, you know what? Um, Amanda Plummer, genius casting. We'll talk about her in just a second. I cannot wait to see Amanda Plummer <laughs> um, as like kind of the main antagonist, I assume. That's what she is throughout the season. Um, but I thought like Moriarty would make even more sense as kind of the uh, the, the final antagonist. Not, not because it's like, look, the guy was in like two episodes, whatever. But it's just kind of like... Um, it's kind of a familiar element, but a, in, in the terms of Q, kind of the um, chaotic danger element. You don't know quite how you're able to contend with this. Um, but then I got to thinking, like, I think he might be one of more kind of the uneasy ally sorts of uh, characters. And maybe we get Moriarty for, like, I'm guessing, like, three episodes here. I, I'd like to see him do more than, say, you know, what we got from Sandman and spider-man no way home like that's my hope um there um with lore like i think like you're bringing back the tng cast i'm guessing at least every single actor the original crew they're going to be in a minimum of five to six episodes yeah Uh, some of them probably closer to eight or nine I suspect Lore will be somebody who's maybe more in like five or six episodes. I think he's going to be a thread throughout the season, and I think he's going to be probably more directly connected to Amanda Plummer's character, Vatic, throughout the season. But these are just kind of like my own guesses. Like, I'm, I, I, I'm not a Reddit detective or anything like that, so... You know, so I, I, I'm curious what they would do with whoever the antagonists are going to be. Um, I will say this. Oh, actually, you know, okay, I, I've got another kind of broad thought. I, I, I want to throw it back to you about, like, a, any thoughts and kind of, like, how the antagonists are going to work this season. I, I really, myself, like, I'm looking at the character of Picard, and so much of this show has been about, like, the legacy and the history of Jean-Luc Picard and and kind of reckoning with the past. And I, I almost when I see this this trailer, I start to think of, like, is this antagonist setting the Amanda Plummer character setting up something where he has to face like the the dangers of the past or something like that and the fact that they're advertising these two characters to me means that's two of the characters we may have others as well Mm -hmm. and I'm Mm -hmm. trying to think of like you know let's just assume this is a potential um, you know concept for the season are there any other villains that pop to mind to you that could also show up on the show I mean Borg Queen I would have said but they kind of dealt with that last season is there anyone else that jumps to mind damon bach oh that's a good one yeah because i i don't believe he like died by the time we got to the end of season seven i think i think it was the episode is bloodlines the one featuring kind of like picard's is he my son or is he not the guy who's into rock climbing yeah and i believe damon bach is still roaming around it'd be like the guy's been recast uh, multiple times already so i'm sure they could pull him back somehow uh what other i guess the crystalline entity is <laughs> is gone yeah um, um gol madrid uh i i don't know the timeline uh, of when david warner passed yeah. away and uh yeah. yeah um hmm like but but it doesn't have to be like a recurring antagonist but like somebody with like some sort of like loose threads coming back for picard at this point uh yeah what the the irish colonists and up the long ladder camp 
<laughs> or those aliens with the snake cane from Time Zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They mistake uh, lore for data. That's why they're coming back. Um, I don't know. It, it It's kind of like... It's kind of like... Uh, it would be a lot of fun. Like... If all they do is just kind of do the fan service route, because look, I, those first two seasons, um, not great. And, you know, like you said, uh, Borg Queen or Q, those could have been uh, two other entries, but we already kind of got those conclusions last season. Oh, I, I, think I, got, gonna... I, got, I got a really obvious one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really obvious. Yeah, yeah, sure. In fact, we're fools for not saying it. I'm sure everyone was screaming into their uh, earbuds, but <laughs> Sila. Yes, yes. Um, I will say this based on. What we're getting from the convention from Denise Crosby, uh-huh. it's interesting. She did phrase things very diplomatically, though. You know, and Terry Metalis, the showrunner for season three, of course, <laughs> this is a show that gets a new showrunner every single season. Um, they both alluded to how, you know, Tasha will be seen in, in some manner, but they didn't actually call comment directly on like Sila's presence you know no. and i think you are correct and, and like and we've talked about it over the years and like it's just like there that is one of the biggest like unresolved threads from tng it's just Sila. we have the reunification two-parter and Sila just disappears right off the map yeah um ro like she's not an antagonist but i don't know if we got a satisfactory sort of conclusion to Rose's journey no, I think at this point we can only assume she died with the rest of the Maquis, but uh, mm-hmm. I would like to think that's not the case. Um, just to, I guess it'll depend whether Michelle Forbes feels like coming back or whether that character works into the season. Yeah. Um, Vash? Yep. Yeah. Not um, necessarily an antagonist, but more of one of those kind of, it'd be kind of fun to see her back. That's true. Those uh, also the the dudes from Conspiracy bring back those worm <laughs> aliens. Let's pay those off finally. <laughs> yeah, uh, look, I, I'm sure there's others like super obvious that we're missing. Uh, but look, I, look, I'm excited to see what happens based on this marketing. But guess what? I was also very excited based on the season one marketing. Um, I've been burned many a time before by these uh, producers of Star Trek Picard. Um, I'm going in willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, more the fact that, like, Terry Metalis, the showrunner, he's been saying all the right things, uh, which, you know, uh, the other showrunners have done that as well. But um, this is a guy, he kind of goes back to the Berman era of Star Trek as, you know, kind of a, uh, he's written episodes of Enterprise, and, like, I kind of feel he has kind of a, like, a, a sense, like, his hand is on the right wavelength when it comes to pursuing this as a showrunner so i have faith in at least he's a really great interview so i'll give them the benefit of the doubt but cam um i think you and i are totally happy to say this show's not working if it comes out of the gates and and stuff just doesn't feel right to us like i think we've we we sat through season. It, it, it's fascinating, uh, listeners. If you go back and listen to our season one review, episode by episode of uh, Star Trek Picard, 
we are really giving that show the benefit of the doubt. I think it's really not until the final two episodes where you and I just really start digging into how flawed the show is. Um, yeah. Season two. Um, they fooled us once again. Those first two episodes, uh, very interesting, a lot of fun. Yeah. And then the show just went off the rails. So the show is capable of doing some good things. Like Nepenthe, that was a great episode of Star Trek, period. I'm, I'm not going to take that away. Uh one thing I will note, though, is uh, you and I think we're both very excited about the uh, marketing for season one of Picard. Uh, when we saw the season two trailer, you and I were both very concerned, but for different reasons. I recall, I think you were very worried that we were going to go back to yet another alt-universe sort yeah. of deal, where it's like everything's right. dark. I was very worried. I was like, Cam, are we going to spend an entire 10-episode season in Los Angeles? And I think you and I were like, no, that can't possibly be the case. That would be terrible. Um, yet, <laughs> that's what we did. <laughs> so, I don't know. Sir, I, I've been talking for like 12 yeah, yeah. minutes straight. So, sorry, sir. Uh, 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 chime in here. Well, it, it's funny because like I watched this trailer and it's like it really feels like it's edited the same. It's it, They're definitely taking pages from the Picard playbook and how to put together a trailer where like even the reveal of classic characters arrives at key moments to kind of leave you on that high. <laughs> but what I'm... You see, it's the whole fool me once, fool me twice, etc. But, like, um, they are selling a very propulsive, action-driven story. That is not what a, you know, 10-hour movie is or a uh, 10-part TV show. So, like, I don't know how much to really take off of this trailer because the same I would say for pretty much any, you know, show uh, genre show right now. Whenever they put out these trailers, I'm like, yeah, if you hand someone you know, 10 hours of footage and tell them to make a two minute trailer, they can make like a slam bang propulsive trailer, but that's not ultimately what the show is going to be. I remember seeing very impressive trailers for Falcon and the winter soldier <laughs> and then sitting through <laughs> that absolute slog of a TV show. And I would say that for a few Marvel shows, I would say the same with moon Knight. you know, like yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like Falcon winter soldier. I think a little bit more than, you it's like i i i'll give that show the benefit of the doubt just because they had to re-edit the entire thing because sure. of the pandemic and i feel bad the, at least the character stuff worked like the slower moments worked in falcon winter soldier even though that was a uh a story that was completely incomprehensible and yes. nonsensical especially when it came to the antagonists and what their motivations were um but even like the slower moments the interpersonal moments in season two of picard those were absolutely nonsensical and yeah. it was that was just such a complete drag, and that's the big difference. Also, we weren't really excited when we saw the season two Picard trailer. It's certainly not the same way we were with the season one trailer, and, and certainly not the same way. At least I'm feeling right now after seeing the season three trailer. Yeah, like to me, going into season three Picard, I'm definitely in the you have completely lost my confidence in your series. <laughs> It is yeah. up to you guys to win me back. And right now there's a lot of, uh, you know, telling about how great the show is, but they've got to show it. And so, look, I didn't go into season two Picard, you know, with my, my cheerleader pom-poms, like, here we go. And then I love... That's a great visual image I have <laughs> in my head right now. <laughs> Starfleet cheerleader. Um, Yeah, like, I was really, really impressed with Stargazer, the first episode, and then the second episode as well in the alternate universe. And then it lost me. So I am waiting to be proven wrong. But I look at the marketing and I go, ah, it's, I can't trust this. And I love what Amanda Plummer's doing. Like, 
this character I know nothing about. I'm sure it is going to have some sort of ties to the history of the Enterprise crew, but like definitely a very distinct performance, right? Just judging from the trailer, it's just like, can it deliver something that grabs me? Because ultimately, if you take a few clips of that villain, put it in two minutes, of course it's impressive. But what is this 10-hour story, and is it going to work when doled out over, you know, 10 episodes? Well, I think now you're having kind of the smart discussion here. And, like, we were kind of picking apart, like, the marketing. But, like, what you're bringing up is, like, what does it all add up to? And I think that's kind of the, the bigger issue here. Um, I'll say this. I think Amanda Plummer, genius casting. Um, she's just such a distinct performer. Uh, she has kind of that Star Trek kind of blood running through her uh, with, with regards to Christopher Plummer, uh, her father, who, uh, of course, portrayed uh, General Chang uh, way back in the day. Um, I would also just say, like, just that kind of energy she gives off. I think they desperately need that here in Star Trek Picard when you're coming off of, like, somebody like narek as like your main antagonist in yeah. season one you know it, like we were more excited about rizzo in yeah season one than we were with narek um it, you can't go wrong with john delancey but like was john delancey he wasn't the villain of season two it was actually like doctor was it um i don't know uh, i i'd say it's the Borg queen is really the antagonist i would i would have said it was dr sung He's more of a tool of it, really. It's he, hmm. well, he was he was Q's tool to teach Picard a lesson about how to love. Yes, yes, that's that's true. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, anyway, okay, let's 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 try to free. Cam, okay, listeners, we're gonna have a fun time. Uh, just ahead of the premiere of Picard, where Cam and I will be going back into season two of Picard, and we've discussed this off mic about just trying to describe what the season's even about. Um, so the Amanda Plummer stuff, like I, like I just hope it's not going to be an antagonist who, like, because we're getting lines like "We're gonna scorch the earth," and I'm just like, I just hope it's not somebody who's driven solely by some sort of bloodlust, where it's just like, let's kill, 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 you know? And like, I kind of think like. Tom Hardy as Shinzon, like, it's one of those kind of, like, broad villains, but it kind of works in that you understand his motivation. Yeah. You know, like, he's somebody who, A, wants to continue to live, but his body is failing him as a clone, but he's also somebody who, who came up through, like, the Riemann mining colonies and <laughs> had to fight in the Dominion War, and, like, like there's an edge to him, you know, like... If she's more along those lines, and, and ultimately Shinzon is, is kind of a villain that maybe he could get some sort of like um, posthumous sort of like reconsideration, but he's not one of the most iconic Star Trek villains. Uh, I, I would hope that there's some more depth and nuance going on with Amanda Plummer's character, uh, Vatic. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm pumped for her because she's like she's just such a presence. But I don't know. It's just this is so so far is not one I don't think is kind of defined by nuance at this point. No, I actually got very strong nemesis vibes from the entire trailer, but I also don't really regard them that seriously because I don't think anyone involved with the making of this show is like, we want this to be like nemesis. I, I think they know. <laughs> Judging from season one Picard, which went uh, out of its way to basically erase the effects of nemesis, uh, that's not a concern at all. Just more of an aesthetic choice watching the trailer. I was like, huh, this does feel a little familiar. Um, yeah, like, 
I, I'm just really very curious to see what they do with this. I do think, like, the Amanda Plummer character, this whole series has been about, like, the life of Jean-Luc Picard. There's going to be some sort of connection to the past, whether it's lineage or something. This character somehow was affected by a decision from Picard's past. Um, it could even be something akin to um, um, Edison in um, you know Star Trek Beyond, where there's some sort of like connection to the past within Starfleet or something that we are somewhat familiar with. Um, I will be very curious to see which episode in the 10 episodes they reveal this in. <laughs> uh, it'll be the uh, end credits, uh, the post end credit sequence <laughs> in episode 10 that they finally reveal like the motivation of the antagonist. It'll be three episodes after the audience figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay. So like, looking at this character, Vatic, Vatic is not like a human name. But, like, I was looking at her, like, it's not like these, like, she, are those scars on her face or are those kind of, like, um, kind of alien sort of, uh, like veins know, kind of marks? Veins or, or something like, yeah, yeah like, I, cause, they're, okay, so I'm kind of thinking, like, why would people want to take vengeance on Picard? There, there's a very weird line, and I think it's actually more of one of those Frankenstein sort of like lines that they just kind of created for the trailer. But I'll, I'll read it out to you. This is Beverly speaking to Jean-Luc. <laughs> you let me know if, you, if this makes any sense. It will be as it always was. Attempts on your life. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, uh, is this as it always was? Assassination attempts on Picard? But um, isn't that just this series, like, in a nutshell, they make sweeping generalizations about <laughs> characters where you're like, wait, what? It's the whole, like, Raffi, you're so manipulative. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, really? I never realized this. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Um, So I, I'm trying to think about, like, why would there be, like, this strong contempt for... Starfleet. We see the destruction of this Starfleet facility, and I'm guessing like Vadek has something out for Picard. Is it maybe tied to Wolf Three Five Nine? Is it kind of one of those Commander Cisco situations? And like, I lost everything that was important to me. I need to seek revenge on Picard. You know, forty five years later, or whatever this timeline is now. Like, if she's tied to that, as that could be interesting. But like, I don't know what else there is at this point. That also feels kind of old hat at this point to yeah. once invo again involve Locutus for yeah. these sorts of things. But I also wouldn't put it past them to do that. Well, they haven't done it well so far. That's that's true. You know, so, um, but but you know, I, I lean towards what you're saying. But what are these other like big events though? That why why would somebody be seeking vengeance out on Picard other than Damon Bach? Uh, um. She's the daughter of the villain from Gambit. <laughs> sure. The daughter. So, like, what, 12 years younger? Yeah. Um, um, hmm. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's, uh... Well, when I think of, like, the key Picard stories, it's things like the inner light, tapestry, more of these, like, internal journeys than, like, yeah, yeah. you know, Picard screwing someone over and, uh, you know, planting the seeds for future revenge. Yeah. So, but that's kind of like, is this going to feel, like, really inorganic? Like, whatever unfolds here in season three. 
I wouldn't put it past that being the case, but uh, again, what? fingers crossed. Fingers this, crossed. This Reading team? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Well, Cam, okay, let me throw this. Uh, okay. So there are three moments, or maybe three or four moments, that, that really jumped out to me is when I realized there's Amanda Plummer as main, yep. main antagonist, when it was Moriarty that would made an appearance after I figured out it was not um, the Grand Moff Tarkin version of DeForest Kelly. Um, it was lore, and honestly, uh, this is the one that I was not necessarily expecting, just the reaction that I would have when I saw this on screen, but it was Michael Dorn speaking in Worf makeup for the first time in, like, 25 years. Like, I I got goosebumps there, because, like, we've been to the conventions, we see Michael Dorn, who looks... (laughs) He looks younger than me at this point <laughs> um, as a man is still in his 30s uh, that I am uh, versus Dorn in his 60s. Um, but, like, we, we've seen the other performers, you know, like Beverly Crusher, you know, and Gates McFadden. They they look pretty this, much the same, you know, when you're at the convention. Uh, same with, like, LeVar Burton, other than, like, his, like, uh, contact lenses he has to wear. I haven't seen Worf speak in 25 years, you know, and like, I, I don't have a problem with the gray hair. I know a lot of fans are like, what's up with the gray hair? I, I get over it. Um, that was just exciting to me. Like that really got me like excited to see where this character has gone over the years. And, and the thing, you know, he seemed to be commenting on Raffi. Yep. Um, you know, He's and full of rage, Tyler, <laughs> full of rage. I just hope that they do something with Raffi where like, you kind of like kind of redeem this character. <laughs> it's, it, 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 it's like from a, like an, an actress like i really like i think michelle Hurd's great it's just they keep giving her like dog food like kind of like dialogue and like character motivation like throughout the first two seasons um okay uh, okay so i've got that in my head um let's put a little bookmark on it there because i want to ask you what was your reaction to seeing wharf uh appear on screen for the first time in 25 well i, I guess nemesis was 20 years yeah. ago but yeah uh, you, you you tell me i mean it was definitely exciting like when they had the initial artwork i actually thought that was more jarring it just looked weird Mm -hmm. but when you actually see you know michael dorn in the makeup you know moving on camera it looked great um i liked it you know he's like apparently um, become a pacifist that's not something i would have expected you know the obvious fan fiction thing to do is cut to wharf with a batleth and you're like there we go (laughs) classic wharf i liked it at least initially they're going to present something a little bit different from wharf we haven't seen before we're going to see him swing uh, some Klingon weapons, right? Yeah. Uh, we are. We are. For yeah. sure. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, so the thing that I was kind of thinking of that, that bookmark I mentioned, um, it, it seems like such like a obvious thing to do. But you know what? At this point, we're getting a show like Strange New Worlds where kind of the uh, the showrunner uh, a, a couple of weeks ago had that great headline. He's like, what? where his pitch was like, what if Star Trek was just Star Trek? And right. um, I think it would be a fun series if we had kind of a Seven of Nine, Raffi, Worf sort of spinoff. Like something going on with those three characters, which I think there'd be, I can already tell there'd be some interesting dynamics going on there. If they're on a uh, starfleet vessel for whatever reason and it's like you're asking yourself you know well why what are you doing that's creatively unique or interesting or furthering on the star trek universe i'm like you know what at this point like efforts to do that with say something like discovery or picard like trying to reinvent the wheel that hasn't quite worked out so why don't we just bring like these cool fan favorites and put them in different situations that could 
draw on like kind of the fan love. I, I think just from a marketing perspective as well, that would just make sense to make these successful. I think we've seen other series, most notably the animated shows like Lower Decks and Prodigy. They've kind of reinvented things to a certain degree to a greater success. But um, uh, other than Strange New Worlds, I just don't know how successful the live action shows have been doing that. But any thoughts on like including Worf on any potential spinoff that would involve seven of or raffi which i think you and i both kind of agreed from marketing's perspective like that might like a, a seven spinoff might be the most viable well you know what i actually like the idea of making more of an ensemble legacy character show much more appealing because i don't know well look it, it could probably be done but like in terms of these live action single character focus shows whether it's picard or how Michael Burnham really towers over Star Trek Discovery, yeah. they have not worked for me. But if you have a dynamic of, as you said, you know, Raffi 7 and Worf, for example, I think that would be more compelling. You put them on a ship together. You come up with a concept for what the ship's going through that's interesting. You can introduce some new characters. I think that's kind of why um, Strange New Worlds is working so well. We went into that knowing... You know, Anson Mount, Ethan Peck, Rebecca Romaine, they were all really fun together on Discovery. But then you add in those other characters, and next thing you know, we're talking about characters like Nan and the new Uhura and saying how much we really like them. I think that would be mm -hmm. a good idea to take those legacy ones, put them together, and focus more on the concept of the show and the ensemble than the Seven show. Like, I, I don't really, I, I'm really rethinking whether I ever want to watch the Seven show. I know. And, and it's, I think ultimately we, speculated about this i probably would have been like four or five years ago at this point but like if they were ever going to do kind of a picard spinoff you and i touched upon the idea more than once with regards to whether it just made sense to kind of combine academy with picard and it was essentially picard as the commandant of starfleet academy that was not the which... version i was pushing <laughs> well it, to me to me it was him as a groundskeeper <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> Hanging under that big tree that we saw in season three of uh, Discovery, right, Cam? That, That's the, right. The tree that everybody loved to hang out at. And he hangs out there and explains the tree to everyone. <laughs> the legacy of the tree. Yeah. You know, I, but I, I think like an ensemble show featuring three characters like Seven, Rafi, and uh, Worf, I think that would, th those three would provide like a solid anchor, much like we see with Spock, Pike, and number one on... Just uh, on Strange New Worlds, whereas like again, like you said, Cam, like that is an ensemble show, um, it, and that's not necessarily what we were expecting when we went into it. And I think Star Trek works so much better as an ensemble versus a show called Star Trek Picard or Star Trek Michael Burnham, you know, and even like Lower Decks, it's proving that that is an ensemble show too. Mm -hmm. And Prodigy, I'm coming, Chicote. <laughs> I mean, also, if you did that show, you know, the wharf and whatever, that, that trio there, you could even have like... That'd be, that's that's the best name, Star Trek Wharf and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there eventually. <laughs> but, yeah. um, uh, but no, like have like uh, Admiral Janeway as like a recurring character. That could be really cool. Well, okay, Cam, let me ask you this. What are the new characters created over the last five years since the Kurtzman era really launched? Um, name the characters that would jump out to you as ones that are not legacy characters, but new original characters that might be able to anchor their own spinoff. Um, okay. Like, I think in a different world, Rios could have been the lead on a show. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think he could have been pretty interesting. Um, I'm going through the Picard cast. Uh, that, that, that's about it there. And Discovery? Uh, oh, boy. Uh, I don't know that there's anyone on Discovery I would really... Like, I I think there's elements of Saru that have a lot of promise. But if you ask me, like, do I want to watch the Saru show? I'm like, well, not not really. So, yeah. And um, Strange New Worlds? We'll see. I guess I'm still in the we'll see phase where, like, there's a lot of characters I really like that have been newer. Although there's really not many new characters, just like Non and um, Ortegas. And we don't. We haven't seen a lot of Ortegas yet, so it's really just none. And I wouldn't say, like, that's a character screaming out to be, like, the uh, the focal point of a TV show yet. You don't think we're going to get a Dr. Mabenga hangs out in a nebula with his daughter spinoff? Uh, unlikely, unlikely, no. Like, I, I think what we kind of can agree on, though, is, like, it's more of <laughs> what we're talking about, though. It's, it's more of kind of these legacy characters being the anchors for potential live action shows and i include that with uh pike you know that that's a legacy character spock legacy character you know so it's just it's a little problematic i think if they are leaning so much on nostalgia and i don't think there's look if there's stuff to mine from that like i i believe me i think there's so much stuff to mine from like a uh character like pike especially when it's anchored by uh, a very charismatic actor like Anson Mount I I would love to see live action Janeway again which we we heard at you know New York Comic Con that uh there have been talks you know or ideas thrown about between Kurtzman and uh, Mulgrew about whether that could happen um you know but it just kind of speaks to kind of the dearth of you know creative ingenuity that we've been exposed to just in the last five years at least when it comes to the live action side of things but that's also just speaking to a larger trend in the industry as well of a reliance on kind of like fan favorite characters. Um, yeah. So like I, I get it. Like I understand why Star Trek is doing this, but it will reach a burnout point. And I was actually talking to a friend of the show, Scott Hardy, about just the trailer for Picard. And I just said, like, I wonder, like, at what point we get to the point where it's like throwing a legacy character at us doesn't excite us anymore. It's just like, oh, yeah. Oh, they got that person now, huh? Oh, cool. Like, we don't really have the response because it's just, like, become such a go-to approach to pulling people in. I mean, Marvel has exploited that like crazy. And at what point do you just, like, shrug and go, oh, okay, that's interesting. If I'm being honest, when I saw Jim from The Office uh, <laughs> in yeah. one of this year's uh, Marvel movies, I got legit excited about that. But, uh, yeah. uh, you know, I okay, so... What is a Star Trek legacy character that you think might excite you at this point? It would be, you know what, at this point, what excites me is insane ones. So, like, Okona <laughs> genuinely <laughs> had me, like, kind of surprised. If they brought, like, Lazarus back or something like that, I would okay. be blown shut, away. Shut, shut blown your, shut your away. Mouth. <laughs> shut your mouth. <laughs> if they brought Miri back, you know, uh... <laughs> Those yeah. are the ones, though, that, like, really blow me away where I'm just like, wow, I never thought I'd see that. So, okay. I don't know. Does it sound that insane when Okona is back on Star Trek on an ongoing TV show? <laughs> no, no. I mean, the, the only one that would genuinely 
excite and intrigue me at this point. Look, we're never going to get, like, Ben Sisko. Like, just Avery Brooks has, you know, you know, uh, punched his card when it comes to acting and public appearances. Um, Andy Robinson as Garrick? Hmm. Like... Yeah, that's a big one. That might be it. You know, yeah. because I think there is story left to mine there. Um, but I just, like, I, wouldn't it stink if, like, he just showed up at a view screen for, like, 30 seconds and that was it? Like, I almost yeah. feel as if he would need to be given more time. You know, just, yeah. like, he, he's the closest thing. Him and... So, Garrick and Tran are the closest thing to, like, main characters on an ongoing Star Trek series that were never in the main cast. Or, or is there another contender that you think might be out there? Those are the main ones that jump out to me. And those are two characters, as well as, honestly, like, a few of the DS9 ones. If I saw them in live action, that would be really exciting to me. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> okay, so we're 40 minutes into this cam. Um, beyond Picard, do we, we want to uh, touch a, a little bit on uh, the uh, Discovery and uh, Prodigy stuff? I, I don't have nearly as much as... I don't have 40 minutes to discuss with no, regards no, no. to Discovery at this point. Well, we noted, like, we've got Jellico coming back on Prodigy. We saw some Borg stuff as well. Yep. Um, and we saw, like, the idea of Janeway chasing Janeway, which I think is a really fun concept. Um, this one is just a case where, like... I, sign me up for this show. Like, I've really enjoyed Prodigy, and I have been really annoyed that I've had to wait so long to continue the story that I was enjoying following along with. So let's get there. And I, I like what they're showing. I don't know the context for it, but it looks interesting. I'm going to do my best to rewatch those first 10 episodes uh, by the end of the month when we get the premiere going. Um, It's just, it, it, it seems like a... Um... Simple storytelling, like non-pretentious storytelling within the Star Trek universe that seems to get kind of the, the Star Trek vibe, even though they're doing different things. And they're bringing back, you know, kind of fan service stuff like, say, a Janeway, uh, an Admiral Janeway, a Hologram Janeway, a <laughs> Captain Chakotay, um, you know, <laughs> a a Jellico, you know. Um, I will say this, though. So uh, Thanksgiving uh, dinner uh, this past weekend... Uh, I was talking to my sister-in-law, who is a Star Trek fan, just about, like, some of the stuff that came out of Comic-Con, about they're bringing back... I didn't spoil anything to her, but they're bringing back, like, uh, some exciting characters. And she's like, yeah, as long as you're not bringing back characters like Chakotay, then that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did spoil one thing for her in, like, the mid-season finale of Star Trek Prodigy. It ended with um, uh, one Admiral Ch uh, Janeway uh, uh, belting out... I think our favorite line to date of this past uh, one year of Star Trek, which is, I'm coming, Chakotay. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, like, I, I just think Prodigy, they're, they're, visually, it, it, it looks so cinematic. It, it's just amazing direction, amazing visuals. They've got the storytelling down. I, I, I'm very curious how it's going to kind of suck in a lot more of those younger folks, you know, that will eventually graduate into watching like live action shows after being like really excited about what we're seeing you know from uh, i think i think like a cartoon that really has its finger on the pulse of what makes star trek star trek yeah and i mean it is interesting because like the generation that would have started watching prodigy um is now about 25 for the continuation of season one so uh <laughs> yes yes you're right <laughs> Can we better get 10 episodes in a row? Like, if they give us yet yet another five episodes in a row, and then they have yet another break, it, like, th this just, this is weird, you know? Or, or at yeah. least it's frustrating for us as viewers in real time, despite the fact that Paramount Plus's ultimate goal is just to build up library content, so whatever. Um, yeah. 
Discovery. Um, nothing you can do can make me excited about this show. <laughs> it's just kind of like, uh, yeah, look, oh, they're on a mystery. Oh no, Cam, you know, I should have, I should have started <laughs> with this. Let's fly. I um, cringed. <laughs> if that's what they're doing to get me excited about Star Trek Discovery, oh boy. Uh, look, Cam, it looks as if there's some sort of mystery involving archaeology, an ancient civilization. Don't care. Um, the one thing that has my eyebrow, like, popped is uh, they've cast Callum Keith Rennie as a uh, Starfleet captain. Uh, great Canadian character actor. Um, I've Star, or uh, not Star Trek, uh, Battlestar Galactica fans would uh, totally recognize him as Leobin, uh, who uh, was just this kind of uh, very intriguing, gnarly sort of uh, character throughout the series. Um, like, he's got, like, kind of, like, Calum Keith Rennie has kind of this uh, edge to him, like this, um, and the way that they've described the character as somebody who just, uh, you know, he's kind of more of a, a soldier more so than kind of a peacetime captain and doesn't really like he prefer to shoot first rather than uh, talk first like I'm, I'm intrigued what by what they can do with this character Rainer I believe is his name um, he's got like weird ears like not Vulcan ears but some sort of alien ears so I'm intrigued by that we're also going to get some more couriers you know I guess that's how they're going to justify bringing back a um, uh, book uh, I don't know but other than that I'm just like I, I, this show it to me is just more of a shrug you and I will definitely do episode-by-episode episode reviews of Star Trek Picard, TBD if we feel any sort of inclination to do that with that for the 10 episodes, season 5 of Discovery, which you and I both suspect will be its final season. Yeah, I mean, all they really marketed in this trailer was, you know, some visuals, some new aliens, you know, the character you referenced. But it was mostly 50 seconds of action, um, topped off with a Burnham quote, never a dull moment, to which I would say... I don't know about that in Star Trek uh, Discovery Season 4. <laughs> there was definitely a few dull moments along the way. So all I can all I can do with Discovery at this point is hope that this is more entertaining than Seasons 3 and 4. But I, I can't hold my breath at this point. And it, when they're like doubling down on like Let's Fly as like the hook for the, you know, to pull you in off the top, that doesn't give me a lot of faith. But... Hopefully this story moves because it is 10 episodes versus like the previous Discovery seasons have been longer. So really dragged out. If Discovery is going to be a bullet, as, uh, you know, um, Kurtzman has referred to it as, then hopefully this actually moves. You can keep fooling me with regards to Star Trek Picard. I'll keep getting sucked into a show in which I have the opportunity to see these legacy characters that I have uh, deep affection for with regards to discovery like i don't know what are you going to do bring back prime Lorca from a thousand years ago and that that might be the only thing that would make me interested in watching the show again although like i i would hope that you know there's some sort of prime Lorca action going on with strange new worlds in season two i don't know yeah i would rather see Lorca on strange new worlds than discovery at this point all i hope is that like discovery season five when it's all said and done i go oh that was actually a kind of a bit of a pleasant surprise. I, I don't suspect it's going to be a triumph, um, but uh, yeah, that's well, all wait, I got. Can I ask you this? <laughs> Do you think anybody in uh, the Discovery crew ended up going to the Starfleet archives and, I don't know, just typed in Lorca's name to see if anything ever came of, you know, this prime Lorca? One would think, um, yeah. but uh, 
they're so distracted with all sorts of soap opera stuff going on that they just don't have the time, quite frankly. It's a lot of mysteries, yeah. a lot of soap opera drama they've got to you know, unravel. They're a busy crew. Yeah. Um, I'll just say this. I, I was like, huh, is Admiral Vance going to be in this season? But I did see him for a split second sitting on the table next to uh, the Federation president. Um, I was like, okay, I like Admiral Vance. Um, you know, we, we also have uh, Dr. Cro- or not Do- Dr. Cronenberg, uh, Dr. Kovics uh, coming back as well. Uh, I like him. But is it like I like the character? Or I just like the presence of David Cronenberg, you know, just like yeah. I don't know if I'll like, you know, Captain Rayner. So much as like, I'll just like the presence of Callum Keith Rennie, you know. Exactly. Like, yeah. So, I, I well, let me ask you this: I, like, I know you don't watch a lot of Canadian drama series, Cam, uh, but <laughs> were, were, were you at all familiar with uh, Callum Keith Rennie ahead of um, the announcement over this past weekend? I feel like I've seen him pop up in the odd movie or something like that, but he's not some. I recognize the name instantly, but yeah. it wasn't a case where I was like. Oh, that character actor I so love and adore. It was just like I knew the name instantly and I vaguely recognized him, but I'm not exactly sure from where. Yeah, he's a cool cat. He's got presence and like, you know, even shows like Da Vinci's Inquest, you know, um, uh, like he popped out in that. And so I'm excited to see him, especially just with his Battlestar pedigree in like uh, Cam, when and if. You ever get around to watching one of the most amazing sci-fi shows of the past uh, two decades? Um, you'll you'll dig that character that he's portraying in that as well. Maybe it can fill the gap when uh, Picard season three ends. <laughs> <sighs> yes. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Okay, so Cam, why don't we jump over to our regular scheduled programming at this point? Okay. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton. Awaiting the touch of your nozzle, Cam. <laughs> and we're here this week to tackle one of the wackiest episodes of Lower Decks, I think, ever. A mathematically perfect redemption. Tyler, what did you think of this crazy episode? Well, of course, it's the return of Peanut Hamper after she kind of uh, betrayed the crew in the season one finale. Took off, you know, the as an exocomp can do, uh, and escape into outer space. Um... For a while, I was wondering if this is going to be, like, only the second episode in Star Trek history in which it does not feature any main cast members. Uh, We got that with the uh, Enterprise two-parter, In a Mirror Darkly, where there were no main uh, characters. Now, there were Mm -hmm. actors featured in that Mirror Universe, but we never saw any main characters uh, in that one. And so it's kind of going with the flow here, but ultimately this one just did not land for me. There were some interesting storytelling ideas about whether or not you're going to have a possible redemption arc for Peanut Hamper. I do appreciate where it doesn't just kind of fall back on that, you know, kind of cliche, uh, but uh, um, I, I ultimately start questioning, you know, like, what are these, what is this character's motivations? And I ultimately, I... 
I'm not a fan of movies or TV shows where you are obscuring the motivations behind your characters that you're following. I think the problem with uh, Picard, especially in season one, uh, that that series is very guilty of obscuring the motivations of the antagonists. Uh, we even saw that with Q in season two of Picard. It's something that's uh, kind of bugging me throughout uh, Discovery too. For them to do it in just one episode... I, it just kind of left me kind of shrugging. Um, there are a couple laughs in here, but this one just really didn't do it for me. And I don't think it was just because they're going off format, quote unquote. It just, it, the storytelling ultimately just did not land. This one actually really did work for me. I, it's funny because like, I thought it was so amusing, like just genuinely when you had very snarky Pete on Hamper um, hanging out with this seemingly pre-warp society but obviously they did have warp technology but nonetheless like just the cutting comments throughout i kind of like the mean-spirited nature of the character i got a little bit concerned when you had sort of the redemption stuff i remember you know i'm a big fan of the movie army of darkness and if you ever listen to the commentary which is pretty hilarious they kind of talk the director and you know bruce campbell talk about how it's getting less interesting as ash becomes like a hero and isn't just cracking wise throughout and I, I like that this show also seemed to be recognizing that because I was sitting there going like, do I care about watching a peanut hamper character who's going to like redeem themselves and perhaps rejoin Starfleet and live happily ever after on the show? Like, that's not that funny to me or that interesting. And the fact that then they, they then pulled the rug out and just showcased how entirely self-serving and toxic this character is. I, I really thought that was very funny, but it was an episode as I was watching it, I was like... Usually when I'm watching an episode of Lower Decks, I can kind of gauge what the response will be. For example, it did not take a genius to figure out that last week's DS9 revisit was going to do pretty well with people. But this was one where I was really like, I am going to be really curious to see how this one lands with people. Yeah, look, I, I just... <laughs> I, 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 I kept kind of thinking if this is almost kind of an analog for whatever happened to Lore when they beamed him into outer space and TNG and he wasn't uh, found until uh, a couple years later is by some scavenging crew. And this is ultimately kind of his journey in analog to a certain degree and how he has to kind of overcome uh, these organics that he looks down upon to, you know, eventually succeed at what his own goals are. Uh, I don't know. I just this one like it, it, here's the deal. This, this is how I pinpoint it. This did not feel like an episode of Star Trek Lower Decks to me. It, it felt as if, like, I was watching an entirely different cartoon, you know, animated series. And you sometimes kind of enter into kind of a uh, an agreement when you're watching a show in which the creators are kind of, you know, they can go off model every once in a while, but they are going to kind of deliver the show that you signed up for. And just tonally, this one didn't quite fit that mold. And there's just something a little off-putting about th this entire adventure to me. It felt in some ways to me inspired a little bit by maybe the success of the episode Three Ships last season, Wedge Douge, I think it was called, um, where we spent the majority of the episode with characters who aren't our mains. And it almost felt like they were like, oh man, that episode really worked. And we liked doing that, kind of experimenting with the nature of the show and decided to build an episode around Peanut Hamper. And it felt to me like they were... It felt like they were actually fairly inspired comedically, um, but within the storytelling, it definitely felt quite different than what I would normally get on Lower Decks, whereas I would argue Three Ships felt at least thematically consistent in the sense of these are Lower Decks serving on a ship. What is their experience? This one kind of felt more as like a 
comedic flight of fancy they were having with a character who could have been kind of like a one joke thing from no small parts that they were like, let's just dive deep into this kind of bizarro personality. Well, with Wage Douche, I could imagine that uh, uh, sort of episode appearing in another Star Trek series. You know, you could kind of change, obviously change the script around and it wouldn't be, you know, as joke heavy. But what Star Trek series would this be a fit for if you were (laughs) to, you know, like take away the jokes, blah, blah, blah. But essentially you're telling kind of a story about how a uh, a sentient robot who's evil lands on a planet and manages to get thrown into this... uh, uh, jail for megalomaniacal, you know, sentient uh, robots, you know, kind of, and we got the Jeffrey Combs uh, cameo once again, uh, returning uh, his role as that um, that computer from last season as well. And we also got a J.G. Hertzler uh, uh, re- return as the same character. But, but Kim, what other series would, would, would this episode kind of work for? Well, like, maybe you hit the nail on the head with lore, where it would be sort of an episode built around lore engineering like a redemption story really just to get you know to serve his own ends um but, but like this seem like a tng episode to you in which you would spend the first two-thirds of the episode not at all even acknowledging the main crew well it would never happen on tng like they just would not tell that story yeah i i think that only leaves you know a couple options here like i could see them doing or trying that in kind of the kurtzman era mm-hmm. but i'm just i'm trying to figure out like what series this would otherwise work for and i i, I don't know I, look, I, look it, it's cool if they're trying different things you know like i'm not gonna fault it for that it wasn't like this sh- episode left a bad taste in my mouth it just left me going like eh, okay uh, good effort you know and i i look i, I fault nobody for enjoying this because it is different it is off model like they're trying something else and that and it's just as you said cam you're very curious what kind of the broader response is going to be to this one and i think you thought that Going in knowing that it was just so off-model and that it could be off-putting to folks. Yeah, like when I was finished watching it, I was like, huh, curious about this one. And I was trying to, like, think of, you know, other episodes of Star Trek with a similar kind of structure or at least this heavy a basis on a guest character. And I thought of, like, Assignment Earth from the original series. I mean, it does feature your original characters, but in you know, supporting roles, basically. I also thought of Distant Origin from Voyager. Um, But there's not a lot of comparison points. And it's something I'm definitely, definitely open to exploring in the future of Star Trek, but traditionally not so much the case. One of the other things that was kind of hanging over my head as I watched episode seven of season three is where is this season ultimately going? Because I think you kicked it off with the first episode in which it's very much about, say, Mariner trying to figure out where her duties lie and whether she's going to have a future in Starfleet. And that's kind of been dropped for the last couple of weeks, you know? And so ultimately, I think they're going to pick that thread up once again. But I I, I can point to kind of the, the ever-developing arcs of the characters from seasons one and two two but have mm-hmm. the characters changed that much so far this season i i, I maybe point to rutherford as the one uh, going through the most change but it was him dealing with his own kind of suppressed psyche and i i think he's still kind of rutherford that we all know and love even still at this point yeah it did give us sort of important information for that character that we really didn't have and 
I don't know that Rutherford ever really had an emotional journey in an episode that I found particularly, you know, grabbed me in any way. And I think that episode finally kind of remedied that. But like, you are right. When I go through the seasons, there's a very consistent thread through the seasons for the characters. Like what threads exist this season? We have Mariner operating, you know, under number one, but that's only in a couple episodes. It hasn't been something that's really been carried through or driven stories in any real way. Um, what, what's Boimler's story been? so far this season has he had anything other than like uh women love him they find him real sexy <laughs> like that it's, yeah. it's it's more like a running joke it's not like kind of an arc for him and, and the other thing we talked about it like tendies like she was kind of meant to be in this you know science division training program they really haven't touched on that at all no and they also haven't done a ton with the bridge crew um freeman you definitely had very prominently in a couple episodes at least you know dealing first off in the premiere with her getting her job back but also going to the spa and we're finding out about the stress this has had on her um so i would say for, like freeman that was my has least gotten... favorite kind of b story so far this season as well like yeah, I, I think agree. freeman hasn't been served well so far this season i think a lot of it is kind of cutting away from her relationship with mariner kind of like saying okay well let's explore more of the relationship between ransom and mariner but they kind of you know they, they keep kind of dropping that and picking it up kind of casually yeah it's funny like when you really look at the season as a whole it doesn't feel as character driven as past seasons because even like rutherford which i think that episode really operated beautifully but like it's not like this season has been about rutherford and i thought it might actually be a little more so um we obviously haven't had any payoff yet to uh the shadowy figures um in his memory banks so hopefully that leads into something in the finale or whatever the penultimate episode of the season that'd be great uh but like i can pretty much sum up each season kind of what at least the lead character of the season is or what the important journey is this season it's i mean it's going to depend on rutherford perhaps doing more in the finale or something because then i can say well this season maybe gave us more of rutherford and this was kind of if you want to call it someone's season rutherford season but at this point in time it's nobody's season really yeah yeah, I, 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 and all that said, I still think this is far and away the uh, strongest, most consistent season of Lower Decks at this point. But it's just, um, it, it's kind of like hard to pinpoint why they've kind of dropped these threads. And it, it's not as if they can't say that these episodes have been more successful uh, than maybe the first two seasons. But I, I just wonder if like kind of the... Um, as you said, like the, the, the character stuff hasn't been nearly as well developed, despite having some good character moments. Like the um, Jennifer and Mariner stuff from last week when they visited Deep Space Nine, it didn't exactly work for me. There's some laughs there, but at least it was more character driven stuff that uh, it, like that sort of stuff is still hanging in my head more than anything that happened with the main crew in this particular episode. Well, I mean, the main crew, I mean, they don't really function in any real way. They're They're mostly just to come in save the day and kind of witness the ramifications of peanut hamper um it's as much as you know kirk and spock watching tv in assignment earth <laughs> ultimately yeah. they're pretty passive within the story other than kind of uh revealing you know peanut hamper's uh, duplicity so like it very much is a i mean this is the peanut hamper episode and i think you know kether donahue 
does a fantastic job doing voice work throughout the entire thing because she really has to carry this episode. Um, so I definitely give her points for that. But yeah, in terms of your main crew, I mean, they really don't serve a sort of memorable function in the episode. I don't even remember, honestly, what like um, Mariner really did. I remember Boimler talking about like the planet Areola or something like that, but that's about it. Yeah, I am happy that they brought back Peanut Hamper and kind of gave that character a little bit of closure. Who knows if she's going to stay trapped in that computer jail for you know long. But I, I always kind of expected that they would touch upon Peanut Hamper again and let us know whatever happened to her. So, yeah, look, uh, look I just did not expect that they would devote an entire A story to Peanut Hamper and relegate all the main characters to the very background of... Like, there was no B story in this one. It was all an A story here. And I think that's also very unusual for Lower Decks, too. Yeah. No, that's incredibly um, irregular for them to do. Um, yeah. I, th- I, I, don't, I don't even think it's happened before. No. I don't think so. No, they always have usually... Well, it's like usually, I guess, because they're juggling characters. And here... They weren't looking to juggle characters because the ultimate reveal is to bring in the Cerritos at the end. So, really, what are you going to do? Cut between her and the village leader? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let me ask you this. Uh, Peanut Hamper's like, hey, I'm going back on the Cerritos to get me off of this planet. And Freeman's <laughs> like, I'm not taking you with me. Well, it, well, Freeman obviously did. You know, like, what was, what was Freeman planning to do? Just leave Peanut Hamper on this planet <laughs> after terrorizing this civilization <laughs> she hadn't really thought that through yet <laughs> uh, uh, well. that was more of a visceral response <laughs> yeah you know it, like threaten people with uh some board collective uh uh transmissions and i i guess that'll work on you i mean did you see the rug pull coming of peanut hamper engineering this whole <laughs> saving the planet thing no, because I just assumed they were like, you know what? Our characters are good after all. This is going to be her redemption arc. So I, I did appreciate that. Like, because I, I think that's where I was kind of getting like a little bit worried about this episode. Are, are we going to spend like 26 minutes devoted entirely to redeeming Peanut Hamper? And I, look, I, look I, I don't mind that they said, you know, this maybe is not a redeemable character. I think that's actually kind of fun and it kind of goes against um kind of the the star trek formula so to speak when you have stories like this like have we you know point to an episode like uh oh no counterpoint you know mm-hmm. where we didn't quite know if the uh, uh inspector kashik was on one side of the fence or the other and ultimately he wasn't on team voyager in the end and i think you know it, like that sort of stuff is interesting to me and, and uh, i i guess I, I literally kicked this episode off saying that i don't like it when you obscure the motivations of the villains or the antagonists or the characters you're following we kind of had that with kashik but that actually worked for me uh, back in that episode of voyager i guess you could argue too with counterpoint maybe the success of that one is that he's paired with janeway and you understand her motivation like in it, it's yeah. more of a two-hander versus just spending time with kashik just do you remember like watching season one of star trek picard and we had no idea what the romulans even wanted it was just so mind-numbing when you don't know what your antagonists even want it's just them speaking in low voices and seducing a synthetic robot girl and i'm just like well why i kept asking myself why and it wasn't until we got to that uh i think it was like episode eight uh when they 
finally revealed the admonition. I was just like, why don't you just reveal, reveal that in like episode two or three? And then we can actually get behind why you folks are pursuing this course of action. And I, I think it would have been fun had we known, as the audience known, that Peanut Hamper was still up to no good. And because we would have been like cheering for, you know, the uh, Aero, Aero, uh, <laughs> not the easiest names of aliens to uh, uh, pronounce. I think, okay, I, I wrote down all my notes. I spelled it out phonetically. Aerior, the Aerior. We would have been like more cheering on their sides, hoping that they are able to, you know, uh, push back against whatever devious plans that uh, Peanut Hamper had in mind. I, I guess I kind of like the surprise on this one. I, I like that they upset the classic Star Trek experience, which is always that, you know, the positivity, you know, the aspiring for something better. I kind of like that they undercut that, that kind of trope of Star Trek. So to me, that's kind of what I appreciated. And just what a snarky commentator Peanut Hamper was throughout the episode. We've seen so many episodes about characters on, you know, pre-warp civilizations. We've seen this like so many times and to have a character go through and just be making constant snarky commentary it kind of brought like kind of a little bit of a mean-spirited aspect of the comedy that we don't really get too much on lower decks and i found very funny so like i, I just genuinely appreciated the surprise here well yeah and that's just it I i've always been asking for lower decks to be a little bit more cutting with its sense of humor and so we got that here. You know, I I, I laughed uh, at moments with a peanut hamper, you know. But I will say this, you know, it, it, we've had other bad apples in Starfleet before, you mm -hmm. know. So, you know, it, it's just, this is just an entirely new angle of exploring it, you know. So I shouldn't fault the show for doing something different. I And I don't think I, I have been faulting the show. I just ultimately don't think it landed for me personally where, where this one ended up going. Yeah, I mean, I can see on, you know, IMDb, it has like a 7.3, which this season, that's not very good. So I can definitely see it's going to be a polarizing one with people. And that was generally my expectation watching it. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I don't, look, I, I, I'm looking forward to the last three episodes of the season. I, I, I think we're, you know, for me, there, there's only like two episodes that I've been a little bit more wishy-washy on. I didn't dislike this one. I also did not dislike the one in which uh, Freeman went to the spa, you know, like, <laughs> uh, so I, look, I, th I still think it's the strongest season yet. Uh, I, I believe I know what's coming up next week with re a return of a, uh, another kind of a, a bit of a sequel to a much beloved episode from a uh, past season. So yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to what comes next year. And I think like an episode like this, what I appreciate as well is it gives them a lot of opportunities to really push their animation outside of what they would normally do. And I think between, you know, this week's episode and uh, hopefully next week's episode, it once again shows like just how dynamic the show can be just on a visual level. Yeah. Uh, Cam Andor, or as we call it, Cam Dort. <laughs> uh, uh, see, this is another series which I know lots of folks <laughs> are enjoying and uh, I've been a little bit more wishy-washy on it. This is actually probably like my favorite episode yet. I realize there's no big action sequences, but it's like, to me, it's like, okay, you have a beginning, middle, end. I'm enjoying all of the scenes unfolding, whether it's, uh, I think the guy's name is Tarn, like the, uh, the corporate security officer who's now been kicked out, um, having to go back and, and eat space cereal with his mom. Hmm. Uh, like, like how often do you get that, see that in, in kind of a Star Wars universe sort of unfold? Um. You know, and Kim, you keep bringing it up, and I agree with you. I don't know what a 10-year-old kid 
is going to think of this show when they tune in to watch, you know, Andor. Uh, it, it, it's like, this is, <laughs> they must be bored out of their minds based <laughs> on their expectations that they have uh, from, you know, just the other movies or even shows like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, yeah. um, say what you will about like Princess Leia, you've got a kid in there bouncing around. It's bringing kind of this energy there that I think a lot of kids could even project themselves into the shoes of, you know, being an eight-year-old, nine-year-old Princess Leia at that point. Um I, 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 I'm enjoying this. Like, I know I've had my critiques about kind of, uh, the, the storytelling format, but I, uh, I, I, I think this is the best one yet. I was, uh, I don't know. I don't know about this one. This show to me is just like the slow burn to nowhere where it's like, boy, it looks amazing. I love the aesthetics. I love what they're doing. Making TIE fighters seem very scary. That was probably my favorite part of the episode. And they did it, you know, I think in the previous one where it's about establishing kind of the threat that the Empire and kind of the iconography of the Empire can hold in this universe. But I don't know. I feel like I'm just tuning in for like, I don't know, a quarter of a movie or something, then checking out and then tuning in next week to be like, oh, yeah, what was happening last week? Oh, right, right, right. Like, I just have no sense of pace of where this story's going. I find it intensely frustrating to watch this show. Well, I was listening to another interview with uh, Tony Gilroy, who's on Mark Maron's podcast, and it kind of illuminated to me what he's trying to do more so than what I understood just going back a few weeks. I, I, I don't think it's all that spoilery if he's out there saying this, but I don't know, maybe skip ahead two or three minutes. Um, not you, Cam. You get to hear whatever might be spoilery. <laughs> Damn, I was but, hitting the um, button as fast as I could. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, he said, like, um, season one is supposed to be about, like, kind of the first year uh, following Andor, casting Andor on this journey to becoming, like, a legit rebel. Whereas season two is about his journey for the next five years. And so I think before I've been hearing how, you know, Tony Gilroy has a five-year plan for Andor, the mm -hmm. the series, and in my head, I just was like, are, are they going to run like five seasons? Like, really? Like, okay, and then like twelve episodes a season—that's a lot. It sounds as if his intention is let's just do two seasons, and I'm like, okay, I, I can wrap my head around that better. Um, but it's like, uh, Kim, I know you're not into uh, House of Dragon; you haven't been following that this season. But one of the big complaints is just all the frequent time jumps mm. that happen, and it's creating kind of this more uh, like not an episodic series but it's like I, I like i wish it was even more of an anthology series than it is but it's just more these time jumps have been more disconcerting so if we're going to go into the second season and it takes place you know over five years it's spread over like 12 episodes i'm just like oh this is gonna be a little bit like off putting as if you're, you're missing big chunks of a character's growth here and so i don't know like uh, th this episode I, I i think it it's far and away the strongest one it has a beginning middle and end but again uh, as you laid out cam it's just kind of like we're, we're kind of twiddling our thumbs waiting for things to come full circle um i just think this is going to be one of those shows where it's very clear that the uh uh hollywood filmmaker turned tv showrunner he came in with the mission of creating a 12-hour movie, and we are in the, the middle of the second act of this 12-hour movie, so we'll, we'll have to find out what's going to unfold. But it, it almost feels like every single week, we're this is the whole like problem we had with Discovery and Picard. It's like, every single week, we keep saying to ourselves, I guess we just have to wait till the end of the season for this all to pay off. And I feel like when it's broken up, especially by a week, 
it's just momentum killing. And like, there's so many little details here that like, I look, this is a show that clearly Tony Gilroy is very invested in. It definitely feels like, I don't, I'm curious what he loves about Star Wars. If he is, you know, a huge Star Wars fan, because I, I don't think he is. Yeah, like, I, I don't like based know. Based on like what, what he said. Also, the first Star Wars movie came out when he was in like his mid twenties, so it's yeah. not like he has like this childhood longing for it. I think it, what happened, is, and he he said it before. He's like, I was given like this really cool opportunity to work within this really cool universe, and they said that I could break some of the rules. And when else am I going to have kind of this canvas with these production values as well? And I think okay cool like go for it man like i, I like it, it's interesting because we kind of complain how like kurtzman clearly is not like a star trek fan and we kind of wish yeah we had somebody who's a bit more of a star trek fan shepherding it um whereas i don't think there's anything wrong with tony gilroy shepherding his own star wars series if you're going to kind of shake up what you know kind of the formula is you know just look at something like boba fett's which john favreau the big star trek fan which he was in charge of and that one didn't work, you know, and uh, Obi-Wan didn't really work. And I, I, this one is definitely working more than those other two shows, despite, I, I, I think, some valid critiques that we have of this of the series. Yeah, like in terms of consistency, like Andor is head and shoulders above Obi-Wan especially. But like Book of Boba Fett, um, I mean, at least had its two standout episodes that were Mandalorian episodes. But yes, like Andor is better than both of those in terms of what it's trying to do. I just find when you are just streaming along like this, especially this week-by-week format, it doesn't work. If I was binging this show, I think it would play very differently. But because it's just so heavy on lore and characters, it's the sort of thing like I feel, and this is kind of the sense I get from just I see a lot of the discussions online. It's like people who watch the episode and then listen to you know podcast sections of it, read Wikipedia stuff, and basically are just obsessing over the episode of Andor, whereas I tune in, you know, I watch the episode, I take my notes, and then we come on and talk about it. But my life is not dictated by Andor. I'm not listening to Andor discussion throughout the week. And so by the time I tune back in, it's like, what happened in the last episode? It wasn't a story I can even talk about. It was just like, I don't know, building up to this episode. So I just find like the details just get lost, which is why I just don't think for me a week by week on this uh you know, twelve-hour movie format works. What are the names of the uh, the motley crew that uh, Andor is camped out with uh, in Planet Scotland right now? I can't remember. There's the one who's like uh, a ske- Sken, Skeen, something like that. Okay, I, I thought there was one named Sinta. Uh, oh, there is. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll just say this. Um, I don't think you're too familiar with Evan Moss Backrack, but he was playing mm-hmm. the kind of tattooed guy um, yeah this actor has had a hell of a year in television right now uh he played a uh, a journalist character in the dropouts uh which followed the the theranos scandal and elizabeth holmes uh he's fantastic in the dropout who's fantastic in the bear um that's the uh the uh, chicago-based restaurant series where he plays <laughs> one of the wildest most manic coked up characters you could ever imagine and now he's coming in here and kind of like i like i did like the moments where he's just like uh i always hated the empire but now i don't even have a word for how i feel and it's like he's kind of actor who's kind of perfect for this kind of gilroy 
you know, look at this Star Wars universe. Like, so, um, I don't know. I, I, I was really digging what Evan Moss Backrex's uh, been doing uh, just in these last two episodes. And it's not because he's like this really talkative character. It's more like kind of like, like those uh, quieter moments that this guy really has some gravity. Yeah, I mean, like, this character pretty much took the the uh, MVP award for this episode in particular. Um, I, and I thought, like, everything dealing with his conflict with Andor and then, you know, quote-unquote apology at the end of the episode really worked. And it, it's not even like I can say I'm not interested in seeing where these characters go. It's just like the show seems to be going just, like, typically within Star Wars, things kind of work at more of that space opera kind of sensibility where it's you know big emotions big character journeys you know that sort of thing that people hook into whereas here it's like i'm like listening to very intimate often very like almost internalized dialogue with these characters but it's like it's not leading to anything because it's so isolated within these episodes and so it's just like okay okay like i'm interested in hearing everyone's motivations for why they're doing what they're doing but they're not doing anything well, I, I just think, you know, Mandalorian, uh, especially in season two, just kind of cracked the code when it came to telling these like episodic journeys that very mm -hmm. kind of uh, almost like video game mission based, you know, uh, here are, here's your mission, here's how you accomplish it, uh, here are the antagonists standing in your way, and you're the awesome hero with a, a cool backing uh, choir behind you, and uh, when you try to reinvent things, it... it, it like I, I wonder how much interest this show would have in it had nobody ever heard of Star Wars before, and this yeah. is just a show called Andor. I think a lot of people would be like, kind of shrugging their shoulders week to week at what's going on here. Which is like, I'm uh, look, we'll get Andor season two. I'll rewatch season one in uh, you know pretty swift succession. Uh, my sense is I'm gonna enjoy season one a whole lot more upon that rewatch than this week to week viewing. I 100% agree. Like, I would not be shocked at all if we get to the end of Andor. And, like, I I've liked pretty much everything Tony Gilroy's done. I wasn't a big fan of Duplicity. But other than that, like, I I've really liked almost everything he's done. Um, And so, like, it wouldn't shock me if it's, you know, a slow burn. And when we get there, I'm like, holy smokes. And makes me go back and rewatch the episodes and glean so much more meaning from all of these exchanges and these small little details that are being sprinkled throughout the episodes. I just find as in, you know, the format of the one hour episode, I find them very frustrating to watch. Okay. Well, like, but don't you get the sense that uh, next week, it, it's going to kind of repeat the formula that we had in the first three episodes where it's kind of build up, build up. And then you have what I expect to be some sort of guns of Navarone sort of episode in, you know, the, the subsequent three episodes. So it's like, yeah. uh, the episode six, I guess is what I'm essentially saying is like, it's going to be kind of like that, a, a similar sort of uh, pattern that we had in the first three episodes of this inaugural season of Andor. That's sort of my anticipation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Kim, I don't know. Uh, do, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, some Star Trek news coming out? We have uh, more, you know, uh, season three Picard uh, discussions going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, it's just, again, Terry Metalis, uh, he's, this is a man who likes to talk, you know? Yes, he does. <laughs> Did you, you just charge up your Harley cam? <laughs> I know. I was like, I won't talk for a moment because there is someone like ripping like a bat out of hell past my window, but yes. <laughs> well, okay. Um, yeah. But look, uh, like, uh, he, he's been talking about, like, kind of uh, what, you know, Beverly Crusher's been up to. She is the captain of a ship, but not necessarily the uh, 
a Starfleet uh, USS Pasteur sort of situation as uh, we had uh, really hoped for. But look, he was also hinting that some of these beloved characters of, our, uh, of ours, uh, they might be in trouble. Like, it, it might not just be Jean-Luc Picard, who's the only dead TNG character <laughs> by the end of all of this here. So I'm just like, it, it, I don't think he's necessarily spoiling things. I, I think what he's trying to set things up is that there are, like, real stakes that actually matter. And, like, I, I don't know how much interest or how much practicality there will be for having, like, the uh, future adventures uh, of the TNG crew. So, look, if, um, I don't know, maybe it's uh, Riker's time. Because I, don't you think... Uh, the, the, the death of Riker would hit home harder than pretty much anyone else that we have on this show? Yeah. Um, I, think... I mean, the death of Picard did absolutely nothing for us at the end of season one. And the death of Q certainly did nothing for me in season two. Um, I just wish uh, Picard just slapped Q in the face uh, <laughs> as when, he was when going. He found out he was dying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the only thing that's really worked is Data's uh, death yeah. in the end of season one. You know, um, I think people would be. You, you say Riker would have the most impact. I think there's a definitely a pretty strong argument for that, especially you know, obviously the marriage to Troy and how infest, invested fans are with that. That carries a lot of weight. I, I do think people would be also quite upset if Worf were to die just given the considerable baggage that character has over the course of his many many years on star trek my suspicion is Worf won't die because i think they want to leave the door open to some more Worf adventures he's just such an iconic character i can understand why brent spiner is done with data i get that but i can understand look frakes is like yeah, yeah, I, I'm directing. I'm going to be involved in the Star Trek universe until I ever decide to retire permanently. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can see them being willing to close the door on Riker. But I, I kind of have a tough time seeing that happen with Worf. I also think, like, it would just be kind of sad if yeah. if Jordy died. It, you know, like, um, it, it's kind of, this is a guy who, like, I, I don't know. Like, his death would just seem kind of um, like, hey, we just want to shock you here. Versus, I, I think, a more meaningful death that you could have with Riker doing you know, some sort of ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, well, like when you look at the deaths they've done in a season, like season one was very much driven by, you know, well, Data's daughter. And so the death of Data at the end of that made a lot of sense. And season two, it was all about Q, in theory. What, wait, was it all about Q? Hmm. Good question. I, but... <laughs> who even knows what Q is up to? <laughs> exactly. He was uh, trying to give Picard a gift by getting Picard to convince his ancestor to go into outer space. And it was so he could learn to love. Exactly. Yeah, it holds sure. together seamlessly. Okay, it's perfect. Yeah, um, obviously. Uh, but um, we should really at some point in the future go back and just like rewatch those you don't even. It would probably take us about twelve minutes to do all our research just to watch the Q footage from Star Trek uh, Picard season two. <laughs> it's like he's barely in the season anyway. But uh, just to chart that journey, I am going. I am going to do a. Uh, I will do a season two rewatch before uh, this third season premieres. So right, um, I <laughs> listeners. I can't guarantee you I'm doing a uh, season four rewatch of Discovery before season five premieres. I just, I don't know if I could punish myself again no, like that. don't do it. Don't do it to yourself. Um, but like, so I would say in terms of like, if they were going to kill a character from TNG this season, 
it's going to be someone who I think ties into maybe a bit of a bigger picture of the season. Um, it, it seems like Riker's going to play a very strong role. I, I wonder about Crusher, if they would kill Beverly Crusher. That is the one that's a little curious. It just seems so unfair. It does seem you wildly know? unfair, especially when Patrick Stewart's like, I could see us doing a movie. <laughs> Suddenly it's like they yeah. kill Beverly Crusher and she's cut out of the next movie or something. But I, I do think you could have a pretty poignant farewell. Because if you think of like, well, this is, show is called Picard. So it's going to be about an emotional connection to Picard where it's going to mean something to the to the main character. Jordy dies. I don't know that Picard is that broken up. Like, I don't know that there's yeah. like, you know, you can't exactly be cueing the violins for that one in the same way you would if it was, you know, Will or Beverly. Yeah. The only thing I'll, I'll point out, and, and you, you have a very good point about, you know, uh, why it, it really kind of hurt Picard particularly if Beverly were to go. It's just Star Trek has such a terrible track record when it comes to killing off uh, women characters. Mm-hmm. And is that what we're going to do? Like, uh, we've killed off Tasha in a terrible way. We'll, we'll kill off Beverly. It's going to essentially leave, like, one uh, woman character left from the TNG crew. And who knows? Maybe her husband's going to die. So it's going to be uh, torture Troy, you know, all season long. You know, it's just... Yeah, and uh, honestly, I, I, we keep talking about character deaths. I want this to be a hopeful series, ultimately. Like, that. Yeah. that's... You know, but, but I'm okay with some characters seeing their stories come to a conclusion i'm okay with that yeah like i did not i'm not going into this season nor was i expecting of this season when you know it was announced this crew was going was going to be coming back that like oh i can't wait to see which character dies this season i know to me it was more like can't we get back to kind of the optimism and sort of the camaraderie of the tng crew i'm not asking for a carbon copy replica of TNG storytelling, but can we get back to kind of that energy and, you know, why people fell in love with, you know, Picard and that crew in the first place, as opposed to this kind of haphazard storytelling that's been going on in season two uh, specifically. So like, that was my hope, not like this better have character death stakes hanging over the season. Okay. Um, one other thing that I'll uh, I'll point out, uh, you know, uh, with regards to Terry Metallus dropping bombs here, uh, it is confirmed that we will hear the uh, next generation theme at some point during the series. If if the final closing credits don't feature that music, I I will be crushed, absolutely crushed. What about the inner light? Um, I thought that was more likely. I I I, I prefer the next generation credits you know just like i i want to be i, I want to go off on kind of a triumphant note rather than a kind of a sad note you know yeah i don't need to see picard standing at the end at the graves of all of the tng cast members and then having <laughs> you know robo picard walk into the distance with a slow mournful <laughs> inner light <laughs> theme going but I, I wouldn't put it past uh the show to do that based on the output we've gotten the previous two seasons do you remember that episode of The Simpsons? It's a famous episode, the Bobo the Bear episode, where it like ends with um, robotic Mr. Burns running into the distance <laughs> in like the apocalypse yeah. carrying Bobo, and you see like Waylon Smithers' head on like a robot dog. That's what I'm picturing from Picard at this point of this new Golem Picard just like running into the distance, pursued by uh, I don't know Data's head on a robotic dog. Okay, yeah, you know what? That's our prediction. 
our official prediction <laughs> for the final moment of uh, Picard. I mean, you know what? If they did it, it would be hard to like get angry. I'd be like, wow, you know what? Like, that's insane, and they committed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They took chances um, in an era where people don't want to take chances with a franchise. <laughs> yeah, can it really get worse though? That like, you know, it's like th- th- this show's been so terrible coming up to it. Like, I-, I I wouldn't mind if we get just a terrible cherry on top of that poo poo Sunday. No, and it's funny because like you know how uh, we were looking at the log line for Star Trek Discovery season five, which tells you really nothing <laughs> other than just yeah. like acknowledging a mystery, and it's like, oh no. Oh no, we're going to do it again. We're going to go through the same steps again. My my main worry, I guess, for Picard season three is that seasons one and two, you know, they obviously play differently, but like they're kind of setting up and trying to achieve similar things by the end of the season. And my worry is we're just going to repeat the formula here. Maybe it's better. You know, it's hopefully better conceived and overseen by Metallus, but like, it would be kind of a weird bummer if I just saw the same kind of season replicated three times. Yes, I know. Well, um, one last thing. I'll, I'll just note that uh, uh, Lord Dex, uh, creator Mike McMahon, uh, you kind of uh, <laughs> made a joke out of this last week about how it would be great to have uh, the Enterprise crew come back on Lord Dex, maybe through the holodeck. You know, it's kind of a shout out to These Are the Voyages, uh, which I, I hope uh, Picard doesn't end with a, a series finale as bad as these are the voyages but uh <laughs> mike mcmahon's saying like he's trying to figure out a way uh he'd love to work with a cast if that'd be possible but it doesn't sound as if that's going to happen in season four but uh, it'd be great if you could i don't know i just that that show has had such a renaissance you know just oh, as more people have come to love it I, i'd love if they could you know have beyond just james cromwell do another voice over in, in lower decks it'd be great to kind of acknowledge that show um because i I really i think most people associate james cromwell with first contact more than uh broken boat yeah i would say so i i think like the whole doing the these are the voyages you know framing device would really work the idea that like the lower decks would use a uh program of the first you know enterprise crew as sort of like this like you know, hang out and ponder a tough decision. Like, I don't think that's insane to replicate. And I think it's something very easy to communicate to an audience who didn't watch Enterprise. It's like, you know, you could have kind of the moral of the lesson tied into that holodeck program. I don't think you have to explain that much. I don't think it would depend on people having seen Enterprise. I think you could really write a story around that that is, I think, accessible to kind of everyone, but at the same time could also ridicule just that garbage fire of a finale. <laughs> yes. Uh, worthy ridicule it would be. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think, like, it would actually be a very smart way. Like the DS9 one, you don't necessarily... It's pretty fan service for DS9, but I don't think you have to have seen DS9 to follow and enjoy the episode. I think there's a pretty similar tact you could take with Enterprise doing that. Yeah. Alrighty, sir. Well, we will be back next week, of course, with uh, some more thoughts on Cam Dort and Lower Decks. Um, I don't know. It, it's kind of funny how I guess our feelings on these two respective series, at least for this week, they kind of they were flipped between yeah. the two of us. Um, it would be a boring podcast if we just nodded our heads and agreed with each other the entire time. Yeah, it's interesting because I think normally we kind of come down on a similar page, but yeah, we were kind of split in opposite directions on these. Which, to be fair, I think both kind of polarizing types of episodes yeah yeah 
Okay. Well, uh, Cam, uh, where can people find us on the interwebs? You can, of course, hop over to the Facebook page and uh, let us know your thoughts on either of these episodes, as well as leave us reviews wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam, V as in Village Leader Smith. You can find me at Reportin, that's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N as in Nozzle. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Transfer complete.